as part of a desire to stay healthy. I went and had a doctor's appointment this week, and I had a previous one in November, and nothing, nothing serious. But I was weighed. I am pleased to say I gained one pound over Christmas. I want to start by taking an inventory. It's the new year. How many of you strayed from your Christmas eating plans? (laughs) There's a lot of silence here. (laughs) It is so easy to stray from healthy practices, isn't it? Especially in times where there's lots of good things coming at us. How about spending? How many of you were able to maintain your Christmas spending budget? Or did you blow right over the top and you're now looking at your visa hangover that comes in January? One more. New Year's resolutions. Anyone have one or two? How many of you find that by the 6th you've blown right past it and you wait another year to try again? Does anyone relate to this or is this just me? Lisa's no. Lisa's, Lisa's moved past this. Yeah, brilliant. Why do we struggle like this? Why with these aspects of our lives year after year do we seem to commit ourselves to eating well spending well committing to change only to fall back into old patterns let's just be honest with ourselves for a moment look inside there are problematic patterns that repeat in our lives that extend beyond just Christmas. Why is that? Why did the room just go silent? I would argue it rests in stories. Stories have power. Narratives shape us. And we are surrounded by competing stories everywhere we turn. The world and the Word. Each of which are pushing us and shaping us. Our present age squeezes us into a mold. Dictates how we should think, what we should think, and how we should act. All of us live in the world. It is my practice at the first of the year to talk about money. But I'm not going to do that today. I'm actually going to take us on a wider journey of stewardship. I promised you that 2024 we were going to be focused on discipleship. 
And I want to take us deeper. And I've titled this morning's sermon, Loose Change. Which is a bit misleading for you because you thought, here comes the money sermon. It's got coins behind me. It's got a little bit of that. But in some ways, really not just in our giving. That's a side issue. We'll talk about that in the future. But what I want to look at over the next three weeks is how we really sometimes give God the loose change of our lives. That we remain deeply connected into a story that is not meant for us. That we've been given a better story, a deeper story, a story that is transformational, freeing, redemptive. And yet, we still eat too much. We still spend too much. We still make resolutions and promises that we bail on six days in. Or maybe that's just me. I want to go deeper. Let's start with what Paul writes to the Roman church. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Paul is calling all of us, all believers, brothers and sisters, to precisely the same vocation. Be holy. Holy is not a popular word anymore. I was listening recently to someone who talked about holiness. I've got some Nazarene friends, and Nazarene is known as the holiness movement. And they were talking about that if Google had been around over the last hundred years, you would have seen a steady decline in people Googling the word holy. It's just not something that our society embraces. But there's a call for us to be committed, humble, loving, and conscientious people focused on serving and praising and worshiping our God, which is fundamentally what holiness is all about. Paul is issuing this summons to not be conformed by the prevailing culture in which we live, but rather be transformed in body and mind. It's a call to worship. But not just here, not just inside these four walls, but in our homes, in the marketplace, in our societal interactions, and not solely inward, introspective, alone. It's not meant to be just abstract or mystical, but it's meant to be worshipped in concrete acts of service, presenting our bodies to God. And it is the language of sacrifice. It's not a really compelling message when we compare it to the world. See, this is the upside-down nature of Christ's kingdom. It's countercultural. 
It's drawing us in to something deeper. Because our present age tells us to eat, to spend, to take life in an unserious and self-centered way. Our present age tells you it's all about you. We even have algorithms that serve up a smorgasbord of internet clicks, especially built for you as an individual. Everything in this world conforms you into believing you're the center of the universe. But that's not true, it's me. <laughs> right? Right? Do you get that, right? It's that easy. It's Jesus. Transformation takes place when we continually refuse to conform to the world's ways and go forward allowing ourselves to be transformed. But a transformed according to God's will, not our own. Not even the will of our friends or dare I say the will of your pastor. God's will. I find it interesting that in Paul's other writings, when he's speaking on this topic, he outlines the way to this form of transformation, this renewed mind, this renewed way of being is found through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And that is true. But here in Romans, he actually points us in a different direction. He points us toward community. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Paul's drawing us into community. You see, we're not meant to do this alone. Because our renewed minds, the ones which are capable of discerning and approving God's will, must also be able to be active in evaluating ourselves. Our identity and our gifts are only of value in the context of God's people in community. Not listening and tuning in to the best radio station in the world, WIFM. What's in it for me? Because that's what our prevailing culture is telling you. A renewed mind is a humble mind, moving closer always to the ways of Jesus, thinking about ourselves in the right way, avoiding both a a high estimation of ourselves, too high, as well one too low. And acknowledging that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Instead, we are to develop sober judgment and recognize in ourselves that God has graced us with his presence. And in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability of prophecy, to prophesy, sorry, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. 
If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong, yes. Hold tightly to what is good, yes. Love each other with genuine affection. I love how Paul pulls that together. It's a tension. It keeps us on the right track. Take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Paul's giving us a kind of a list here, a pathway toward this kind of transformation that is pleasing to God. Paul's saying he is the source. God is the source of all these gifts. And they have a purpose. And that purpose is for building up the body of Christ. And God has spread these gifts liberally through the church in a variety of ways. We are all different, and yet we are all equal. Every gift is important. And these are significant gifts shaped by a series of ethical charges, each one building on and being shaped by the last. There's an ethic here of sincerity. Our love must be sincere. We live in a world that has shallow loves and insincere loves. I love you because of what you give to me. There's an ethic here of discernment. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. But to be able to do that, we need to know the difference. And by what standard will we discern that? The world or the Word? An ethic of affection. To be devoted to one another in love. Even when we are being unlovely. An ethic of honor putting another above ourselves, an ethic of enthusiasm. I loved a few of us clapped during the music. It's beautiful. It's a way of expressing joy and appreciation and enthusiasm for what it is we're doing together, worshiping God. It's not lacking in effort. It's keeping up our spiritual engagement Serving the Lord, Paul goes right to the core here, never be lazy. Hmm. An ethic of patience, joyful in hope, calm in affliction, faithful in prayer. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. I was thinking when I read that about all of you. 
And I thought to myself, Lord, you've blessed me with the company of extraordinary people. I'm grateful for that. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. It's an ethic of generosity. Sharing with people who are in need. And I think that's not just generosity of of money or goods. It's a generosity of our time. It's a generosity of our love. Generosity of our prayer. Sometimes I think we live in a scarcity mindset. Give it away is what Paul is saying. In an ethic of hospitality, practicing an openness toward others. It's an ethic of goodwill, blessing those who persecute us. Blessing and not cursing. An ethic of sympathy, rejoicing with those who are happy and weeping with those who weep. Which I think comes back to that generosity of our time. You see, love never stands apart from other people's joys or pains. Love identifies with them, sings with them, suffers with them. Love enters deeply into the experience of others. Their emotions, their reality, their laughter, their tears. It lives in solidarity with other human beings, regardless of what mood they might be in. It's an ethic of harmony. Living in peace with one another, even when it is not easy to do so. Beginning to see how this is so countercultural from what the world is telling us. An ethic of humility, not being proud, willing to associate with people of low position. Really pushing away conceit. Now, the more I read this passage, the more I find myself thinking, this is really difficult stuff. And yet Paul actually pushes us just a little bit further. Do all you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemy, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. He's saying this in different ways, but Paul's message is clear. Retaliation and revenge and holding grudges are absolutely forbidden for followers of Jesus. We are not to retaliate, but to do what is right and to live at peace. We are not to take revenge, but to leave this to God and instead serve our enemies. We are not to hold a grudge, for that is evil, and we are not to be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How, you might ask, do we do this? What really has this to do with me anyways. I don't have enemies. 
I don't go around cursing people. I don't engage in evil. Have you ever uttered something under your breath at an Alberta pickup truck driver who is tailgating you? Or is that just me? Have you ever been more concerned about how you've been wronged than how a stranger has been abused? Have you let yourself off the hook for doing or saying the very same thing that made you angry about another person? Have you ever reacted to a slight only to find out later it was a misunderstanding and have failed to repent or ask for forgiveness for your mistake? Have you ever harbored anger in your heart and refused to forgive? Why do we do these things? Why do we do these and so many things that are worse? Evil rests in the hearts of men and women. It's because of what our present age tells us. Be tribal. Defend. Fight. Look after number one. Never admit you might be wrong or might be at fault. Serve your interests alone. So much of how we live is shaped by the wrong story. Church, I think the story we are living needs to be questioned. Always. And in fact, I invite you to seriously consider this. What is the story that is influencing your life today? I suspect for most of us it's probably a mix, if we're being honest. Let me be honest. For me, as I reflected on this this week, I realized how much of my story how much of the story influencing me, how much of the narrative that I am paying attention to is mixed. And when it's mixed, a little bit of bad ruins the whole thing. It's so easy to conform to the patterns of the world, even in our rightness. I found myself convicted as I was reading this week of the parable of Jesus where he describes the Pharisee standing at the altar to pray. Thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. Jesus is pointing out that in the heart of this deeply religious man, he is living out the wrong story. And it is insidious, gradual, subtle, harmful. And what is even more tragic is the fact that this man is blind to it. Blind to his own sin. Blind to his own brokenness. His need for forgiveness, for grace, for real community with other cheaters, other sinners, other adulterers, and other tax collectors. Other disciples of Jesus, just like me, equal in need of grace, in need of each other, in need of a new story, a true story, the only story worth living. And Jesus calls each and every one of us into this story even now. And this is a call. 
It's a call to put away the behaviors, the patterns, the ways of the old self. It's a call to embrace a faithful maturity. And a faithful Christian maturity is a long-term commitment to the things that matter. So what is our present age telling you? Church, it is my prayer that you would not feel shame this morning. It is my prayer rather that you would be encouraged. Encouraged to take stock of your life and actually suss out, look and open the book, your own story, and see which narratives are influencing you. Be encouraged to embrace the grace, the grace of Jesus Christ. Encouraged to walk in the light of His life, transforming your life through the Word. And by the renewing of your mind, embracing the fullness of the Gospel story. That's my prayer for us this morning. That we would not live with loose change, but we would embrace a transformed life in Christ. And that we wouldn't give Jesus the little bits of lint in our pocket. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us the true story. And this morning, Lord, as we come before your table, May we be mindful of the power of story, good story, real story, true story, a love story, to utterly upend the brokenness of our own lives and to draw us into healing and grace and transformation. Lord, as we eat the bread and drink the cup and remember at the love you've given us that shapes us, that molds us from the world that has deformed us as you reform us for a purpose. To build up the body and to bless the world. I pray, Lord, that this morning, if there are any stories being heard that are shaping us that are not of you, that you would give us the courage and the strength to listen to your story as you rewrite our story. Lord, I thank you for this community. I thank you for the way, as broken as we are, sinners, tax collectors, adulterers, the many ways that we have failed you, that together we're walking toward the light. I pray this year, Lord, that we would increasingly pick up speed, that we would lock arms, that we would grow in depth and width and breadth and that we would become increasingly dangerous to an enemy that wants to keep a world in bondage. We ask this, Lord, in your precious, precious name. Amen.